0: This is The Shift Podcast.
1: Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, Linda Nazareth, an economist and host of the Work and Future Podcast, tells us the reasons behind quiet quitting. The upper hand an employee holds at the moment when you're looking at the evolving work model maybe a little reevaluation of your work could be in the cards get some of the things you've been looking for on the world of weird things with Greg Fish he tells us scientists growing a tiny version of a person 3d printing replacement organs it's about stem cells ethics and more plus the International Dispatch with Sir Christopher Gilbert his fresh new haircut and conversations about monkeys on bicycles and so much more as you would expect from Chris Gilbert as he joins us live from Tokyo
0: this is the Shift Podcast.
1: It's time for us to go to Tokyo, Japan.
0: Welcome to the International
2: Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert.
1: Sir Christopher Gilbert is a Kiwi who came to uh, Canada from Japan, then came here and he was like, I'm leaving. Went back, got himself all married, and looks handsome, and here he is on the shift. Yeah. He was uh, part of the crew, actually, and with Duncan filling in for Ryan, I don't know if Duncan knows this, but Chris was the, uh, when I took over the shift, Chris was the, uh, after Bobby left, was the original Ryan and Duncan. So
3: Yeah, wow. the, that's how I like to be referred to as well, as the original Ryan and Duncan.
1: Yeah. Well, not but to mention, thing, I mean, who, who you? Duncan, you this is your who? future. You like, this oh, is right. what you're going to look like here when this is good sound like yeah yeah you have an accent too you have a kiwi accent too not your singapore accent have you ever been to singapore by the way chris you've been everywhere
3: um i have been through singapore airport on three occasions on which times i've eaten some singaporean treats my wife used to live there for a period of time and she loved it she loved all the hawker stands i believe you know and uh, but I personally no, I have not like been into the city myself, or mm. the city state myself, no.
1: Yeah, Duncan grew up there. I want it's to cool. go
3: though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to a
1: lot. It was great actually today because we were trying to figure out um, some time zone stuff, and I was like, Tokyo can't be far off from Singapore for the time zone. That's it good. It's neat learning about Is all places far- in the world.
3: I, I have no idea actually. Like I just think about myself every day, so I don't really think about times and other time in singapore it's 5 p.m here now oh yeah they're only an hour behind us yeah now we're all we're all the same around here
1: (laughs) i love it uh so christopher gilbert likes to take us on a bit of a tour around the world with some stories that uh he would like to share with us now um what does that look like i have no idea so how are things for you before we get started chris things good how is life in tokyo tell us is it fall
3: um, it's not a um, mate. I am sweating buckets still in October because this humidity, it just won't quit. And I got, wow. um,
1: that's quite the time zone <sighs> if it's October there. It's quite that's the time zone. Okay.
3: Did I say that?
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh my God. I'm tired. It's September, <laughs> September, mate. September. But like I, I went and got my hair cut today cause I had to, and I've got the. the it's hot. Thank you. Um, but I, I, I've got the haircut feeling where, like, the ends of your hair are quite sharp because they've just mm-hmm. been cut. And it kind of feels like – because, you know, they, you get a, a little bit of a fringe or something. And, like, at the ends of your hair kind of poke into your forehead a little bit. Because, you know – and for some reason, that makes me sweat even more.
1: hate that. Really? Brendan I just, hates me? That. I just hate it.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brendan, it's a common yeah. problem for you, right? Yeah. Everyday problem. Every day.
1: Which, by the way um, – there, my son has an app on Snapchat and he took a picture of me and it makes me really appreciate how nice Brendan Kelly's head is, uh, because it's at shiftheads.ca. It's a picture of me, um, that my son took and, um, it, it, it so the filter takes my hair off. So Chris, I'm going to send it to you now so you can see it on your phone at least so you can know what we're talking about without having to go to the, um, to the I Facebook don't, don't page.
3: I don't, I don't have my phone on me. I'm, I'm currently looking at the... What's the Facebook page? I have to go there. Here it. you
1: go. Shiftheads.ca. Here, I'll show it on the screen. I'm,
3: I'm going there. Now. Oh, wait, show me, show me. Wait, show me. Oh. Wow, you
1: look terrible.
3: <laughs> oh, my God. I cannot say on the air what you look like. Yeah. I really can't.
1: I look like... like look at the Zoom call. I look like Brennan Kelly. Oh, no, he you know, he no, Brendan, no, he don't look like me. <laughs> Let's
3: just. No, yeah, Brendan so. looks like a cooler Billy Corgan. Like oh, like if you. Billy Corgan didn't go like insane. insane he'd have, like, quite, nice yeah. facial hair. Like that's what Brendan looks like. You look like something that I cannot say, Shane. I'm All sorry. Right. Please, please don't lose your silver foxy and um mane of whatever that <laughs> is you got going on up there.
1: All right. Anyway, since we're talking about haircuts, yours yeah. um, looks
3: yeah. good. I'm going to be a lot yeah, nicer no, to I, you yeah.
1: than you are to me, apparently.
3: Uh, no. Well, well, no, but come on. like You showed me the picture knowing that I was going to say it was terrible by prefacing well, that you also thought it was terrible, therefore giving me permission to say it was terrible. You're not terrible. You look fine. The photo of you <laughs> with no hair <here> on Snapchat <laughs> is an abomination.
1: If anybody wants to see it, shiftheads.ca. It's on the Facebook group, so you can check it out there. Okay, let's go on a tour of the world, Chris, like you like to do yeah. with uh, all of the news stories. Uh, we, here's what we have on the list. Ukraine, Texas, Norway, Brazil, Palestine. Where should we begin?
3: Well, I'm actually going to add one more to that list very quickly, which I'm going to put right at the top. Um, it's a very family-friendly, uh, you know, very non-controversial story. A bit of pop culture. Like I you. don't do this very often. Uh have you talked about the weekend yet, the Canadian singer and what happened at his l a show?
1: We've talked about the weekend before, sure, but not the l a show
3: okay so the l a show if, For people who don't know the weekend he's that so- he sings that song that goes like uh bur-bur-dur-bur, bur-bur-dur-bur. he's like that guy and yeah, it sounds he, just like he, that he, he sings in a well at the moment it sounds just like that because the man's lost his voice he walked out imagine this right like Tens of thousands of people screaming and cheering, and you're in a stadium like one of those huge, like LA, like football stadiums. And it's night, and it's you to see all the cell phone lights, and all the stands are full. And you walk out, and you're like the weekend, like one of the hottest pop stars in the in the world right now. Oh, there we go. I've got some some ambiance from the weekend, and like the drums start, you know, and you're feeling pumped, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, it's the weekend!" Yeah and then it, you start singing, and you're just like, because ah, 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 that's what happened at his LA show. Wow. He can't sing. He could well, wait, he can sing. There go. The man can sing. There you go. He's got a very nice singing voice, but on this particular occasion, he didn't. Um, he cut the song like straight away, and he's like, I can't sing tonight I've lost my voice and uh, Brendan if we play that first clip you can you can hear what he told the audience I'm gonna make sure everybody's good get your money back but I'll, I'll do a show
2: real soon for you guys but I want it to come out I personally apologize you know, I' not it or Instagram or whatever I want you guys to know and I can't give you
3: what I want to give you right now. I apologize I'm so sorry I love you guys so much.
1: That's nice. Imagine, first, Better than most. First
3: of all, imagine that. First of all, like just imagine that you have to you're one of the most like recognizable like out there people in the whole world and you're standing on one of those stages, like the you know like the the catwalk that goes into the middle of the audience and you're standing right there and there's all these people looking at you and you're like, "Um, I can't perform tonight. Like I can't do the thing that you want." That must be terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like that is going to be one of the most embarrassing moments of your career first of all second of all i listened to that audio again and if you take part of it out of context and just listen to what he's saying um let's listen to it out of context so just wipe it from the record the context and imagine he's just in a a different context in a different situation and he says these words brendan can you play that second clip please
2: I don't want to give you
0: anything. I apologize. I'm
3: so sorry. I love you guys so much. Duncan's laughing. I think Duncan's picked it up. Duncan's picked up what I'm putting down. The other two aren't laughing yet. Shane's not laughing and Brendan's I, not I laughing. I can't
1: give you what I want to give you.
3: I love you so much. I'm sorry. I can't oh. be, I can't give you what I it's oh, one more, time, I Bre- see. One
2: more time, Bre- one time one more time Brendan. A
1: performance anxiety thing. Really? I can't Maybe.
3: give you
2: I don't wanna give you one. I apologize. I'm so sorry. I love you
3: guys so much. I feel bad. You're All like... I'm saying yeah. hmm. is that now we know what it sounds like when the weekend can't perform. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> now I get it. Dust <sighs> my hands. Been, <laughs> you were so excited for that. Okay. Uh, That would suck, though. But say I'm going to. Everyone's. If you, you know, you could actually edit that together to your point about the performing and say, "I'm going to make sure you all get your money back." (laughs) Would
3: be funny. Oh, good lord! Okay, no, I didn't want to take it. I thought maybe I would um, horrifically offend you, even going this far. But I. I... (laughs) You know what? I might make a mix-up for next week. I'm so sorry. You get your money back. I didn't can't perform tonight. I'm so sorry. I love you so much. You get your money back. You know, just there make you go. a little a weekend song out of it. You there know, you I'd go. Mash
1: it up, buddy. Sir so Christopher yeah, Gilbert's in Tokyo, taking us on a tour. Where do we go next?
3: Okay, let's go to Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's a story. war going on in in Ukraine, unless you haven't realized. But we're not going to talk about the war in Ukraine tonight. We're going to talk about chimpanzees in Ukraine um an escaped chimpanzee and uh by the way if you do this kind of gig for a, you know like oh crazy news from around the world sort of thing mate animals escape all the time it's not news you go into like wackynews.com. well let's see what happened today oh, ho 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 snake escapes meerkats escape all animals escape it's almost as if it's a huge, great escape out there. That all Steve McQueen, and none of these animals want to be kept in captivity. It's almost, almost. like they want to go back to their native habitat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing that makes this story special, Shane, is mm-hmm. that the chimpanzee returned on a bicycle.
1: I love this. This is actually a very, very cute story.
3: And it's, and it, this, is, like, this is an adorable story. Okay, so the chimpanzee that escaped from a zoo, and I'm going to take Kharkiv. I mean, I'm it's, a it's Ukrainian. Kharkiv, thank you. Kharkiv, the you. case
1: is uh, k- after.
3: <clears throat> oh, man, I, I never get any of these right. But on Monday was persuaded, I love this, persuaded to return to the zoo by a zoo employee, possibly uh, part of the chimp negotiation team, who wheeled it back on a bicycle. Um, it is the second biggest city in Ukraine, and staff at the zoo were struggling to, once again, persuade chichi uh the chimpanzee who had wandered around the streets in a nearby park to return to the zoo with them um but okay first of all usually when these animals escape especially in america it's out with a tranquilizer gun where is this thing let's hunt it let's shoot it put it in the net you know this thing they knew where it was it was just hanging out in the local park and they're like oh look there's Chi Chi, you know, just feeding the ducks with some bread. Hey Chi Chi, you wanna come back to the zoo? And Chi Chi's like, nah, I'm good, eh? And I was like, Ah, oh, come on, we've got some really good uh bananas. And I was Chi-Chi's like, nah, I'm not having it. I, I don't like it there, you know, like the gorillas are real mean to me. I I much prefer just being in the park walking around where there's no fences and stuff. And I'm like, oh come on, Chi Chi, come back. And he's like, nah. Eh. But then it starts to rain. Chi-Chi immediately runs into the arms of the zookeeper. Chi-Chi does not <laughs> like rain. A uh, zookeeper puts a yellow jacket on her. The pair embraced. They had a hug before. Um, this is just like an Ethan Hawke film before they put Chi-Chi on the seat of the bicycle and wheeled her back to the zoo where she is once again a prisoner.
1: A prisoner, it's I mean, true. Uh, it is a, sad, a, sadly attraction. true. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it is not to get overly, you know, cerebral in this whole thing, but it really does go to show the, I've been so impressed by Ukrainians in general, like how mind blowing, um, they've been able to keep the humanitarian thing going on. I mean, think about that. That's how committed these zoo people are. They're trying to keep the animals alive. The place, Kharkiv is like th- th- terrible for the fighting that's been going on there. And they're literally trying to protect the animals. Right, so
3: just I just think it's amazing, it's, man. Like, it, it's yeah. unbelievable,
1: and, yeah. and and then you get this sort of soft story like this uh, that that is so touching. So I mean, yeah, it is funny when you think about it. You know that it was free, and then it was like, I hate the rain so much; I'd rather be in jail. But the uh, <laughs> the uh, the uh, but boy, oh boy, these human beings are. The rest of the world can learn lessons about how how amazing these people are
3: uh i'll just say that in japan you often especially in the summertime see little monkeys with little um on little red waistcoats riding unicycles on a on a a leash really and you walk past yeah man it's not good it's not good uh in here and uh the other week i was in a place called Shimokitazawa, which is kind of like a hip neighborhood in west tokyo a lot of like young people and stuff and i saw a meerkat a domesticated meerkat and I was just like, oh, come on, like, no, you know, like That's Charles wild. Adler will be spinning in wherever he is, you know, but like, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just, um, you know, to, to see, to, to read the word persuaded, I, I just got to say like, yeah. bravo, like yeah. you just, the, 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 the human animal, symbiosis there is very touching and beautiful and something I don't very often do on on the uh, the International Dispatch. So there you are, a well, little treat for you.
1: Tran- Tranquilize is so different than Persuaded, isn't it? Like, really, with the scope of all things people do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a difference. It would be great, though, it. in like a Simpsons-esque twist if they like...
3: <laughs> I'm sorry, the Simpsons, the Simpsons poison part of my brain just sees them hug... Yep. At the end, like a team comes along and just shoots and knocks at the monkey and chucks it in a sack and takes it away. Um, exactly. Kind of right. like kind of like when, like, I think it was one of the Simpsons at the end when, like, some freed um, sea animal is, like, some dolphin is, like, w- like jumping off into the distance and immediately in the distance is, is eaten by a shark, you know? Yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> it jumps yeah. into the sunset and then, <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. Yeah,
3: exactly. But Chi-Chi's <laughs> fine. Chi-Chi's cool.
1: Yay for Chi-Chi. Where else yeah. we go on tour around the world? Sir so Christopher Gilbert in the International Dispatch. Uh,
3: you said you'd done the um, the airplane one before. Do you want to touch on the airplane? We talked about that,
1: but else? I want you to do it because it's been a few days and we didn't really get too yeah. much into it. So I, I do want you to share okay. the story because I'm curious to hear your thoughts. All
3: right. So this is Houston, all right, and so this is a a, a Southwest airline, and like the the clickbaity headline because they all have clickbaity headlines is, um pilot threatens to, like, turn this, I'll turn this plane around if you kids back there don't stop airdropping nude pictures to each other. Um, which is effectively what had happened. Um, the airline went on the, uh, what do you call it, the PA system? The, um, mm-hmm. to Because uh, apparently, the plane had not taken off yet, they were still taxiing. They are taking to the runway to take off. And apparently, an out-of-control passenger was airdropping nudies to everyone on board. Um, if you don't know what airdropping is, um, airdropping is an Apple uh, system or like function uh, where you can just send images to other Apple devices by clicking a button. You know, it, it just pops up on their phone. You can't really control it. Or you can accept it or decline it. Um, one person who filmed uh, the uh, the event, uh, her name is like something Marsalis, Mrs. Masalis. She said that uh, she and her friends had just boarded the plane when they received a notification, she just boarded a plane going to Mexico and, like, received a notification from an anonymous file being shared by Airdrop. She declined the photo, but a couple of women accepted it and showed her the picture. Quote, it was a nude man that had airdropped himself to everyone.
1: Yeah. He, uh, yikes. Didn't waste much time going on vacation, got on the plane. He's like, well, let's see what my options are. Right, yeah.
3: Like, I like. I, I shared this story because, like, my immediate reaction was to was like, oh, hilarious, and then when I thought about it, I was like, oh, that's kind of like, uh, salty. It's a little gross, you know. Like <laughs> it's that's, salty. That's,
1: it's pretty gross.
3: It's awful, and like- I have I have to yeah.
1: It's one thing in a relationship when you're, or even if you're dating and you want to be a little risque and you're like, hey, you want to see, I'll show me mine, I'll show you, right? The One of those. And But it's different than all of a sudden, like, hey, by the way, it, it's flashing, really? It's like, yeah. it's more than someone driving by and mooning you and a little bit more like a trench coat in a shopping mall flashing. hmm Mhm. Um, just for
3: the record, everybody, uh, dick pics are not okay. Like, yeah. like, oh, can I? Can I? I can say that on the air, right? I yeah, you can, sure.
1: Why not? You already did, Richard okay. pics.
3: Yeah, well, like they're, they're not okay. Like unless you're like it's consensual or like they're like like asked for, commissioned. Dare I say that your artwork is commissioned <laughs> by a consenting party? Commissioned you know? artwork, <laughs> and, and that and that you get some nice <laughs> lighting and that you get, you know, maybe, like, a good angle, maybe set up a tripod, like, nobody Mm -hmm. wants, like, in a dark room with the flash on, point of view, looking down, nobody wants that, okay, Mm -hmm. but if you set it up nicely, and and somebody does want it and asks for it, like, go ahead, you know, like, as they say in Japan, dozo, like, please send your pics, but even then, be aware that this is probably going to end up on the internet someday, but... If it's not solicited if it's not asked for, it's effectively just, you know, like assault and against the law. <laughs> and especially if you have a captive audience of like Merrills and Cheryls who just boarded the plane with their big sun hats and their large and you're like, I'm gonna go to Mexico on holiday for the first time in four years and they open up their phone and they're like, Oh look, it's a message from my nephew Anthony and you know, mistakenly and they click it and they're like, Oh dear God like that is awful for Meryl and Cheryl, Mm -hmm. you know, like they don't need that. So I (laughs) condemn this man. Um, There is a line here that I'll say from the story, which is by Global News. Um, Unfortunately, it's not the first time an incident like this has occurred. There have been multiple reports in recent years of airline passengers airdropping sexually explicit or threatening images to fellow passengers. Guys, Mm. be cool on the plane. That's all I'm saying. because. I think
1: it's a real missed opportunity, really. I mean, you're going on a vacation, You know, a couple of funny memes, little funny videos, like some funny stuff. you got a half the plane in stitches, a real good opportunity. Or a screenplay,
3: but you know, like a, a script, funny. Um, you know, a treatment for a new movie, perhaps. A pitch, you know, Have a pitch for a new documentary. You, you know, you see mm-hmm. that... Oh, there's a famous producer over there. I'm just gonna add
1: drop him. <laughs> yeah, pass drop it on. on hey, shit, by man. the way, wrote a new script for you. I like it. Alright, we have time then, for one more. Yeah. So Christopher Gilbert is in Tokyo, Japan, joining us live here on the shift. What? Uh, what's one more that we can do?
3: Oh, let's just bang this one out. Because this is quite frankly, pathetic. Um, Norway, uh, Tesla owners, first of all, you're a Tesla owner. Like you don't have a right to speak. But Tesla owners in Norway, <laughs> Stopped their hunger strike because they got hungry. Um, they parked their terrible cars uh, in a formation which, seen from above, says, Help. Um, I, I agree that if you are a Tesla owner, you need help. Um, there are about 20 of them, disgruntled Norwegian Tesla owners. Uh, they went on hunger strike because of defects in their electric cars. And they stopped their protest within 24 hours. Uh, The Norwegian group uh, began it um, shortly after, um, you know, CEO Elon Musk um, arrived in Oslo for an energy conference. Uh, They demanded action after finding a series of faults, as if nobody knew, as if finding a series of faults in their their vehicles, (laughs) which had not been resolved. And most of all, this is the bit that really sticks me. They didn't like the customer service experience. When 2022, you might not be able to afford your rent, but God, oh, you've got to get a good customer service experience. Um, many of the owners' complaints are not new. They uh, include poor paint quality, rust, failing heat pumps, um, the door handles don't open when uh, your car catches fire, uh, small explosions, <laughs> uh, semi-castration. Uh, you know, oh, like uh, the car sends text to your girlfriend that nigs her at night. Um, all kinds of things, gaslighting, all sorts of things like that. Your self-esteem is destroyed, absolutely. Airdropping nudes to your phone, just you name it, Tesla does it. Um, So they're like, you know what? We can't get any help from, this is what they say, the protest was mainly about the company's customer service. Owners say that they're on hold for excessive amounts of time before they can actually talk to anyone from Tesla. This is what we've come to now. It's just like... A I am going to strike. go on a hunger strike because I do not like the first of all the product and nor the service sir and cause that's all you have you can't do anything you can't you can't call the customer service on customer service and say hey customer service was bad to me because you can't get through to them there's nothing you can do so what can you do you can park a Teslas in a dumb shape um, that nobody understands and nobody cares about and just like not eat Big Macs for 18 hours, then get hungry and then go eat a Big Mac.
1: Um, of all things to do to protest, I don't know if Hunger Strike is really the one that's going to, you know, get the point across. I think that you sort of got to, you kind of got to look at it and say, you know what? Did you see the story about the guy who used dynamite to blow up his Tesla?
3: <laughs> no, but I, I don't think he needed dynamite. I think he could just try turning it on.
1: Yeah, and so he did. He blew it up. He was so mad with his customer service, he blew up his Tesla. This is way more non-committal, I think. Uh,
3: yeah, I just think you gotta go we're in the post-Trump era. If you want eyeballs, if you want attention, you gotta go big. You know, like we're in the era where like in a debate someone threatened to put the other candidate in jail, you know, six mm-hmm. years ago. If you wanted attention, you can't just be like, I'm not going to eat. Wait, I'm hungry. This isn't working. Let's go get something to eat. You know, you got to think bigger Norway. Honestly.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, yes, it's it's not the same impact as Gandhi's hunger strike. Just saying, not quite the same. People didn't show up the same way.
3: Well, Gandhi was Gandhi. These are just 20 people in Norway who (laughs) own Teslas.
1: No one cares customer service.
3: No sympathy. I'm sorry. No. uh, uh, TT the chimp, so much sympathy. Adorable. Some guy in Norway who owns a Tesla, zero sympathy.
1: (laughs) Sir Christopher Gilbert, Tokyo, Japan, with a handsome new haircut. You look great, buddy. I really do like the haircut, though. Thanks for being
3: here. Oh, God. I can't wait till it's long again, but thank you for having me, and I will see you next week.
0: This is the Shift Podcast.
1: It's a new word, quiet quitting, quiet firing. Everyone's talking about it. I find it somewhat inaccurate, actually. That's the thing is I'm like, I don't know if that's really quiet quitting. It seems like you're just kind of having a boundary. Now, that could be limiting in the big picture of that. Joining me now in conversation about this is Linda Nazareth. She's an economist, keynote speaker, podcaster, too, with a super fancy podcast that is Work and the Future podcast, which, by the way, Linda, I will link that on our Facebook group for everybody to see it, and they can just jump right to it and give it a listen. How are you?
0: I'm just fine. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you for being here. Healthy boundaries, Linda. Is it good for us or is it bad for us in the big picture? Because I would imagine many, many businesses are built on a really bad design and they can't survive if it weren't for the employees going over and above. Like if they actually had to work a 38 or 40 hour work week, there's a lot of businesses wouldn't make it. So how does this look for you? Cause this is your expertise.
0: Quiet quitting. You know what, Shane? I think it's just a sign of bad management. If somebody's doing that, mm-hmm. it means they don't like you. They don't like something about this organization. They're not engaged in the project and you've done something wrong. I mean, it could be that they're just a slacker and you need to fire them. But if you have somebody who would <laughs> normally be you know, engaged and they're not, yeah. then you have to ask what the deal is.
1: Yeah, truly what it is. Okay. We've all had bad bosses. I'm sure if we okay. went back through our work histories, Linda, you and I could find a few. Um, but that being said, good leadership is extremely hard to find. Now, there can be a good boss that's tolerant and helpful, but actual good leadership is, is really hard to find. I think that in talking about this, we've got to also manager expectations that just like it's hard to find a good employee, it is very hard to find a good leader.
0: I agree, and it has to come from the top of the organization, and you have to have the right guidelines in place and a lot of things. You also, I think, have to give workers purpose. And it's funny, as an economist, you don't tend to think about, you know, kind of softer things like purpose. But I've been looking at the labor market pretty carefully for a while now, and it really is the key that people have to feel that they know why they're doing this, that there's a reason for it for themselves, for the organization, for, you know, the broader, the good of the economy or society or whatever else. And if they don't have that purpose, then they're more likely to leave. And we've seen that actually in some detail this year, because we've had the great resignation, mostly in the U.S., a little bit in Canada, where workers have left. And when you ask them why they left, they say, well, it wasn't that I hated my boss. It wasn't that I hated the work, but I didn't feel like this was really working for me. (laughs) And that
1: sounds healthy, really, when you think about it, right? For sure. Yeah. And
0: You know, I'm not sure they found it what they were looking for at the next place But there people are looking for something
1: but isn't that the crux though? I mean when you if you're gonna talk about purpose and I agree with you wholeheartedly um, You know people will say this is not what I want, but it's difficult to say this is what I want They might not have a clear picture of what they want work to look like and that could work against them because they're just Bouncing around looking for what they don't want
0: they want to feel valued right and that doesn't happen nearly enough particularly in the jobs we're talking about when we say quiet quitting which is you know kind of the tiktok phrase of the summer uh it was mostly younger people <laughs> mostly younger people who didn't well most younger people use tiktok but mostly younger people who didn't feel that they were happy where they were and they were going to do as little as they could and there's different you know degrees of this it was the people who really were trying to do as little as possible and the other people who as you say were just trying to set a boundary say i'll do what i need to and then i'm going home so i'm not going to be exploited so there is kind of a a spread of this. But, you know, it obviously hits some nerve because everyone wants to talk about this. And a lot of people are unhappy.
1: Well, we had it brought up with a, one of our texters from our community last night that had said, you know, this is essentially work to rule that unions do. And this is sort of a non-union trendy approach of a work to rule campaign. And to your point, there's always been the slackers, right? The ones that do the bare minimum. They're okay with that. Um, and they will always be there. It is different though, to have the, the hard workers start to check out and that must have an uh, You're the economist. So this is, please help me here. The reality is it's gotta be cheaper for the business, therefore better for the economy, cheaper for the business to retain and train versus constantly posting on indeed and hiring and re and training brand new people. I mean, that just must stifle development.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's very expensive to bring people on board. I mean, particularly in higher-paying jobs where there is a recruitment process and you have to bring them in and it takes them a while. But also just in you know, fast food or restaurants, if you're constantly spending your time looking for people, even if they're like 16-year-olds who have to do a fairly straightforward job, that is not really helping anybody. So you're much better off if you can get people to stay. But you know, again, it is... A- you know, as you say, something that is different because it used to be just the slackers. Now it seems to be a lot of people saying, well, what's wrong with that? Why shouldn't I work to roll? We know, like, you know, I assume you're not a TikToker who's 17 years old, but uh, to get ahead in media or anywhere else, you is probably have to give- Is it the gray hair? Give, is that what it was? You- it's a bit of a tip off. All right, thanks. You have to give a lot, right? <laughs> like the people who succeed really put a lot into it. And they may come in really young as interns and they work really hard and they move up so you're talking about really changing things up if a lot of people think they don't want to follow that model and i'm not sure it's a lot of people but yeah i'm not sure
1: people. it's a lot of people and this is where i kind of get into and i care cautious to not uh broadly paint an entire generation of fe- no. folks here but at the same time though there is a different sense of entitlement it's not confidence because there's there's a confidence about this younger generation that i admire I'm not talking about the confidence. I'm not talking about the hustle. I'm talking about this entitlement. And I've heard it. I've heard it from people who are construction owners and and things like that, where you have a second or third year apprentice that's coming into a plumbing job and they demand a free cell phone, a van and $80,000 a year to start. And, um, and a lot of business owners can't stomach that.
0: You know what? Good for them for asking, right? I think those of us who don't ask. I love the fact that they ask. Yeah. Uh, you know, just don't do as well. Also, when there's studies that show that if you are a person who stays in one job for a long time, as other generations have tended to do or wanted to do, you end up paying, getting paid less than if you're the person who says, no, this isn't good enough, I'm leaving. The stickers and the movers, I think they call them in a, a, a UK study, the movers are the ones who end up getting paid more over a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So it's something to be said for that, you know, mm-hmm. for speaking up.
1: It's kind of like cell phones, really. I mean, not to, but to draw a parallel. I mean, if you have your cable company or your your cell phone provider, there's always a better deal to be the new guy at the new cell phone company than it is to stay with your old one. And I don't know about you, if you've ever called to complain about your cell phone price or ask for a better price, but you call and you say, "Well, I'm paying a hundred bucks, and you've got, I've been with you for ten years, but the new guy gets it for sixty five. Well, can I get the new guy deal?" And then they're like, "Well, no, that's just for the new guy." Well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to be the gone guy so I can be the new guy. Right?
0: Yeah. And, you know, if you have the option, that's great. The thing with the economy right now is people feel like they have the option, right? We have very low unemployment rates in most cities, most parts of the country right now. Uh, Certainly that's true elsewhere, like in the U.S. So it's sort of a good time to be a worker you can ask for a little bit more maybe not everything but you can probably get another lousy job is Mm -hmm. kind of the view that people are taking right if you know i don't have to take this one it may not last forever we know things are changing up a little bit but right now that's kind of the attitude Mm
1: -hmm. but again i admire the tenacity to chase it that way I'm not sure that our generation has done a very good job chasing it that way. We've sort of taken it as, I'm going to be employed, and then that employer is going to save me, and then I'm going to work until the end, and then they're going to reward me, and someone's going to take care of me. Now as entrepreneurs, we probably also say, no one's coming to take care of you, man. You are the business of you. So it is kind of mixed messaging going on inside some people's heads. And I think that that's what I really admire most about that. What do you see about the benefits of this sort of mentality?
0: Well, we'll see what happens in the long run because I don't think you can really not give your all to a lot of employers and end up where you wanna end up. But I guess it's a question, where does does everyone wanna end up? It's one thing to say when you don't have a whole lot of responsibilities uh, and you're kind of young I don't care, fire me, I don't care if I don't get all the raises, this is what I want. It's a little bit different when you're paying more bills, you have a mortgage, you have a family, you tend to want more money. So uh, these things do tend to move. However, having said that there is a generational difference here, I mean, you say you, uh, your generation, my generation was less entitled, less confident but i think some of the younger people on tiktok or wherever would say wow you were really lucky you were able to buy a house you were able to see your investments go up we don't have that same deal you were able to live on a planet that wasn't burning we don't feel like we're that lucky so we're going to make different demands
1: yeah i suppose it's true and that always gets into all those other debates is is it actually any different or is it just where access to information is pouring in differently than what it was before. There was a really great piece that I had read about um, information that we get, right? That we now consume with the billboards on the side of the highway, the ads that are inside our Instagram stream, all the things that are constantly exposed to that we process more information in 24 hours than 40 years ago they used to process in 25 years. And so that's that's a staggering amount of info. And for employers and employees, that must be, Difficult too because you're constantly seeing someone live a different life or a better life or have a better job And you said about purpose a few minutes ago and some companies have taken on that um, social uh, cause inside the business and they'll do those volunteer days to get you out volunteering at a food bank or volunteering at a zoo or something like that so purpose might not actually be the business but the culture they're creating in the business that must work in favor of this.
0: Sometimes it does. Um, a lot of Gen Z. And some millennials will say, you know, I want to work for a company that has that kind of social conscience. Uh, sometimes they'll say, I want to work for a company that I know to be environmentally conscious in their decisions. And sometimes they just want to be in a company where they think they're doing something that's of value. And that could be, you know, interpreted lots of different ways. And there's just degrees of this, too. I mean, uh, Stella McCartney in London, the uh, fashion designers reading about this they're t- totally vegan in their london office you're not allowed to bring in any kind of meat product you're not even allowed to wear leather shoes and hmm. uh, that's not going to attract everybody but it attracts somebody right and you know they're playing into that so uh, you'll yeah. see i don't think we'll ever see that everywhere but uh, yeah. it's interesting there are there's a market for that too
1: wow sense of belonging is so powerful to do that um and that you sort of address that in some of your book writing um you know the, the work is not a place, right? um yeah, that, that th- belonging thing is is so important.
0: Yeah, work is not a place. I actually wrote that pre-pandemic about the fact that, you know, remote work was going to be a norm and the old model of work where everybody shows up at one one place and sits there for, you know, 8 hours or whatever 5 days a week was something we didn't have to do anymore. We could, but it was a choice. And you know, it's something else that this generation or maybe all generations are saying is maybe we don't have to work five days a week. And now some people find that shocking, but it isn't necessarily, I mean, at one point the factory week was six days a week. It was only like the fifties that that moved to five days. So Mm -hmm. it's always been about choices. And maybe now that we're reshaping everything else, we can make some different choices here. Now, obviously, it comes down to the economics of this. Are you going to get paid the same for this? Is the productivity going to be as high if you make some of these different choices? But I do think we're at a point where everything is on the table.
1: The four-day week project is um, actually, I think, a New Zealand or Kiwi, Mm -hmm, uh, Kiwi or Australian uh, uh, project-led. It's out of the UK. Um, The four-day week is... Our old notion of 40 week was sort of like four 10s. Like the 40 hour work week was sort of non-negotiable for a lot of years and working four days meant four by 10. This new research project that they're doing and they're getting companies to subscribe to it is four by eight, 32 hours. And they're trying to research productivity inside that. Um, have you had any experience around that or, or things that you've bumped into? As an economist, and with your writing and your books, that that see that there can be more efficiencies found. To your point about working from home or from this thirty-hour to uh, thirty-two-hour scenario that that some people are talking about.
0: Look, the reality is, for most people who come to work for eight hours a day, they're not working the whole time. They're yeah. working some amount of the time, but we know there's time wasted talking about, you know, sports or fantasy football or selling girl dad cookies or whatever we all do right mm. for some part of the day and it's not i want to say that's a waste of time because that's how people bond with each other <coughs> and sometimes that's how you, you get to other ideas mm. so you know i think if we could figure out how to be productive for more of the day for four days a week it may not turn out to be that different
1: I don't know where you were in your career life at the time, but around 2008, 2009, when Facebook was really taking off. I mean, I remember the emails coming in the radio stations from the general managers saying, hey, you're welcome to look at Facebook when you're at work, but please do it on your break time. And there had to be those reminders that, by the way, you're working. And it seemed like there was this, back then, this immediate influx of distractions. Um but I think that that might have settled into being so common nowadays that if we could track the numbers that people are spending the distractions, like you said, even water cooler talk or, or selling their fundraiser Girl Guide cookies.
0: Yeah, the thing is, how comfortable are we with the tracking? Because you can track a lot of things now, right? You can track exactly what everyone's looking at you can block things and companies are experimenting with this like if you're working from home they can see what you're doing all the time because we know that for people working from home there are managers who are scared that they're on netflix all the time they're not really working so there are ways to to do this it's just a matter of comfort uh it's a matter of trust it's a matter of you know is this where we want to go but i think we probably have to make some trade-offs if we want to do a Eight hours, four days a week. If we want to do more remote work, uh, maybe there have to be other ways to track this. So, again, we're in this experimentation phase. I don't think where we are right now in the workforce will be where we are in three years or five years. This is, you know, kind of post pandemic. We're trying some things out. It'll keep changing.
1: Are you excited by it?
0: I am. I am. I think, uh, it, first of all, it's nice that workers are getting some agency, that this is a good point where workers can make some of their cases and we'll see, you know, what they want and what they get. It took a whole pandemic before we really tried remote work. People have been pitching this for decades. Forever.
1: I did it forever. Yeah, I pitched it forever. It was 2016 when I I did an entire proposal on it. And the answer was, nah, you know, we we don't want to invest in that technology. And then here we are.
0: Yeah, and there's just distrust, right? Some people were allowed one day a week, maybe. and They were not necessarily the people who got the promotions. That may still be the case. I mean, it may be the people who come back to work and show up every day who do better, uh, and we have to figure out a system around that because that wouldn't be fair either. Yeah. But, you know, I do, I am excited that we are trying different things. And I'm even ex- excited that, you know, different generations are making their pitches. It's easy to say, well, it's a slacker generation. I mean, I wrote about this. And I had somebody email me saying, well, we should call them generations. Generation joke. This is, you know, insane. Yeah. It's easy to say that, but they're going to be a larger part of the workforce, right?
1: Well, Uh, yeah. When we have to.
0: And And they're bringing a whole
1: new skill set that uh, we don't even understand, frankly. Um, Their ability to work with media is next level and it happens Mm -hmm. naturally. And we would have to go take some sort of school on the weekends in order to get caught up, even to some level of participating with them. But the relationship building is so important. I mean, one of the biggest things in business and in sales, sales means access to market is relationships for the most part, right? And if it's not existing relationships, it's being able to develop relationships. So I don't know if I understand why the person who goes to work versus the person who works from home does get rewarded because they are the ones that are in there building relationships, either inside the office or with clients. And that... I mean that rolodex is still the most valuable asset. I mean your mailing list and and all of that. When someone buys and sells a company, they're not looking at, you know, you know, you know, Steve works from home and does a good job. They're looking at how big is the client list? Who's on the list? Who do you have access to market with?
0: Well, it depends on the job. And sometimes that's legitimate that you are building relationships, but sometimes we know that it's just well, he plays golf with the boss and knows who he is, so he got promoted. And it's not really about his work, right? So you got to be really careful about that. Sometimes it's even where you're sitting in the office. I've seen this, that if you're closer to the manager, you do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a study about smokers, and I think it was in Asia where there were more smokers, but smokers got promoted more quickly because they went out with their manager on smoke breaks than the non-smokers. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is not legit. I right? know people
1: who started smoking because they thought <laughs> that would help.
0: And maybe it did, right? But that's really not how we should be managing, right? You can see why you have unhappy people when that's the case.
1: Well, you hope so. Uh, At least you hope so. Tell me a little bit about work in the future. Tell me about your podcast, Linda.
0: Well, thanks for asking. Uh, It's been a lot of fun, actually. I started it during the pandemic because I finally had time to do that. I'm a keynote speaker as well. And, you know, when you're traveling and doing other things, you don't really sit down and figure out how to do this. But when we were grounded, I did. And basically, I have discussions about work. Like the one we're having now, but with a lot of experts within companies, you know, executives at tech companies, um, with professors, with people who are going through some of this stuff. You know, I had a great discussion, for example, with a professor out of Dublin, Ireland, who studied how um, space missions are much like remote work. And they had to learn at NASA how to make the astronauts not feel like they were neglected Mm. and not part of the team.
1: know,
0: Yeah, so there's lots of great discussions about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've learned a ton. So it's really a good exercise for me and it's certainly, I think, worth listening to if you have an interest in the future of work. Because, you know, we need to be talking about this and having these discussions.
1: Well, and, and if nothing else, be familiar with it. So when changes do come, you're not so surprised. There's episode 79 here that I was looking at. It caught my eye. And this is one, one of those ones I think that graduates to so many people, um, no matter the job, the career, whether you're driving or, you know, getting up early in the morning for, you know, your, your management role or whatever it is. And the title of the podcast is Supporting Continuing Education, The Key... I just said that wrong, is supporting continuation, uh, continuing education the key to retaining workers. And when a lot of us have said, well, you know, I, I really need to learn how to do this better. Will you please pay for this course? We all go through that. We all ask for that. Or if we're not, we probably should consider asking that from our employers. So this this kind of topic really does appeal to everybody, no matter the career.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because if you look at... The studies on this—it matters a lot to people. If they feel like they are being developed in their role, if education is being supported, they're much less likely to quit their jobs. And again, that's what we're trying to avoid—people walking out and, you know, having to be replaced. So, yeah, that was a great discussion. I've actually talked about that a couple times. Education comes up a lot. Uh, You know, how much online should we do? How much reskilling do we need to do? How much upskilling? Who should do it? Uh, it's it's another thing we're exploring because education is no longer just going to school for four years or however long and you're done. It's a lifelong thing. And the employer has to be part of that too.
1: Yeah, well, there's some things that the company just can't teach. And it would be really silly in my mind um, as a business owner to hire a company to clean the mats because they have all the technology and the workers to clean the mats, but not hire a company to teach your employees things that you also can't teach. I think that's very closed minded to not say, well, we need to surround ourselves with the best vendors that can help us create more with our people. But then again, I guess if we're doing the, um, the quiet firing and trying to squeeze people out by ignoring them and all those things, we're probably not thinking this way. So it really does, like you said, it sound like it comes from the top down.
0: Hopefully we're not doing a lot of quiet firing. That is not a really productive way to be either. I mean, I think we used to call that, what, constructive dismissal?
1: Mm.
0: And we still do legally, just try to force people out. And again, if that's what you've got going, you don't really have a, a great workplace.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's probably a whole other conversation we can have about. In some cases, how hard it is to get rid of people. Um, oh yes. I was talking about how it's easy to get into relationships. It's easy to get into business. It's hard to get out of relationships. It's hard to get out of business. So at least be committed to what you're clear on when you when you get into those those scenarios. That that really does matter. That's for sure. I love this. Um, there's so much more we can dig into. I'm going to post directly uh, Linda Nazareth's link. Uh, RelentlessEconomics dot right to the podcast. I want to I want to put that right at shiftheads.ca for everyone to go and they could give it a boo, give it a listen, and they can link to everything from there. Thank you for the insights. I appreciate it. Uh, as we still broadcast from home studios, uh, if that ever changes, I'll call you. Might need some in, some input and a little bit of insight from you.
0: Thank you so much. This is the Shift Podcast.
1: Well, it's time for a little bit of the weird. Let's welcome Greg Fish. Welcome, welcome to the world
0: of weird things with Greg Fish.
1: Off to California we go, and the theworldofweirdthings.com is the website. It's a blog, there's podcasts, there's all kinds of weird things. He's delightfully weird himself. Greg Fish is here. Hey, Fishy. How's it going? Good. Doing Good. Doing good. It's Good News Tuesday, Fish. So we're sharing all the good news, buddy. feels good. feels good to share the good news. So I like that. So I'm glad you're here because we were talking about um, all kinds of stuff from, you know, um, football teams winning to uh, a lady. There was a lady in Oklahoma that had a stroke live on TV. She's okay. And I thought that, that, you know, your your topic, although wildly different, is um, strangely similar to what could be possible in the world of... People needing things in crisis. So um, if you go to worldweirdthings.com or shiftheads.ca, we'll put the link there and make it nice and easy for you. You can see that Greg Fish is talking about uh, his new 3D printer and he wants to print you a lever.
2: Well, it's not my printer necessarily. The printer is from a company called Renewal Bio. But if I could print you a I totally would. Like I'm I'm Thank that kind of guy. Bring me your stem you cells.
1: Could, yeah, if you could if you could imagine what's one organ that you figure you probably need
2: I mean is is that is is, is that a hint about my Eastern European heritage are are you implying need internal like-
1: organ your internal organ
2: <laughs> well no I was gonna say do you need, do you think I need like a like a assembly line of livers just coming down the pipeline there
1: but no I don't know man if like vodka herilka whatever this is your family I don't know it, I'm not judging I'm just saying. just, you know, if you pick. I mean, for me, I don't know. It might be the liver. It might be that. That could be a thing. I don't know if there's an organ that you can replace that makes you snore, because that would be a good one.
2: I mean, the bottom line is there's a lot of people out there who need replacement organs for Mm -hmm. one reason or another. Usually it has to do with disease or some sort of chronic condition or genetic defect. Um, And there are a lot of people who die waiting for organs. And the problem is even the people who get organs have to take a lot of anti-rejection drugs very powerful steroids and immunosuppressants to avoid rejection and then even then those organs only last so long so it's really mm. been a dream of many 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 scientists to say I... let's get let's get your stem cells yeah. and let's print you your own organs and put them right back
1: yeah. Um, well, there's some stats here. The number of people in Canada who have died waiting for an organ transplant has increased. Uh, these numbers were comparing 2018 and 19. 223 people died in 18. 250 died in 2019 waiting for an organ donation. So, you know, this notion that you could print one is, uh, is, is kind of interesting. Why don't you start us off at the beginning here? Cause you said stem cells. You said organ printing. Um, Why don't we start? Let's rewind the tape a little bit so we can get clear on what we're talking about.
2: Yes, that's that's probably a great idea. So there is a company called Renewal Bio, and Renewal Bio has essentially pioneered a way to create artificial embryos, which sounds horrifying until I point out that they're not viable. They can get cells to a stage where they start doing something called differentiation. So when you are um, so when, when, when new organisms are forming, they are consisting they consist of stem cells or, or rather cells that are exactly the same. and then at a certain point in their development they start differentiating into the different types of cells they're going to become. So if you can isolate liver cells, heart cells, Um, kidney cells the idea is that you can then print an organ from them although that's kind of too simple because what happens is you need the proper scaffolding for that and that's where the idea of 3d printing organs come from um usually when scientists try to print an organ they will take the collagen scaffolding of an actual organ from someone who is deceased And they will then try and print those stem cells, those differentiating stem cells, over that collagen structure. But the problem is they can't get a full-size, fully functioning organ quite yet. So Renewal Bio had an idea. What if we start growing them in these unviable embryos, and then when they kind of reach the end of their term, we'll take the organs that they started developing and will just grow them to full size and that is essentially that that's essentially their thought that they can by kickstarting that normal biological process and following it to where it may lead they'll have a massive advantage in being able to create a new liver or a new kidney or a new heart or a new whatever you may need as a person and then because it is technically your own DNA, your body won't see it as an intruder, so you won't need anti-rejection drugs or very minimal doses of anti-rejection drugs, and then the organ itself will last longer, and then if you need another replacement, then they can just print you another one using the same technique. So this is Mm -hmm. essentially what they're after.
1: Fascinating, terrifying, cool. How is it possible? Those are the balls that are rolling around in my head right now.
2: So how is it possible is just because of how your genes work. So if we get these stem cells in a, your stem cells in a bioreactor, they're going to want to do what stem cells do and try and replicate themselves into an organism just like they are programmed to do so if you give them the right signals you put them in the right bioreactor and you give them the right chemicals they think oh we're developing into something new that's hmm. that's just that's just how biology works like that's the it, it sounds really weird because it's really it weird, weird but also if it didn't work that way it wouldn't be alive so
1: well i think that's fascinating to think that the notion is that you know, they all sort of start in the same place and they kind of the switch goes off this timer. I imagine it be, being like an egg timer. Ding. Oh, you're a liver. And then it turns into a liver. Um, it seems like there's some real wild variables there. There's the stem cell part, which is always a conversation. And then um, the fact that it's got to be compatible, if you will, for you. And then it's also got to somehow figure out how to become a liver and work. And then there's the copy paste that you've got to get in a transplant. So there's a lot of variables, safe to say.
2: there There are a lot of variables, but again, we're controlling for the fact that it has to be compatible because it is you. It's your stem cells. So the, that that's the compatibility right there. Um, the mm-hmm. fact that well, how's it going to know to grow into a liver? it does. We, we don't know the exact blow by blow chemically speaking. But it does, because if it didn't, then you wouldn't be alive, you wouldn't have a liver. That's just
3: mm-hmm.
2: how how it is. I, I, and I hate saying that because it sounds so flippant, like it just works the way it works. But yeah, unfortunately, that's that's as far as we know. I mean, we have much more elaborate versions of saying, it works how it works, and we can, we can kind of map out more or less how it should come together, but we don't have the full picture yet. And that's actually why, the idea of using these kind of unviable embryos created from a person's own stem cells comes into being because these cells obviously know what they're doing, and we don't. Although there is one big caveat there that you didn't mention, uh, which is that sometimes stem cell development goes awry, and when those stem cells are reintroduced back into the body of the donor— the body thinks that they are foreign objects attacking it or cancerous cells attacking it. And then sometimes that development goes completely wrong and those stem cells turned into cancerous tumors and need to be removed right away.
1: Oh, wow. Um, So, okay, so is it working though? Like are they actually, you know, end of the day, you know, here comes scientist Bob with a new kidney in his hand. Does it work? Does it fit? All of those things?
2: So far... The process looks promising. They have tested this on animal models, on mice and, and, and lab rats, um, and so far it looks pretty promising. Um, so the idea is, let's see how far let's see how far this goes. Um, right now, a fully compatible three D printed organ from stem cells does not exist. But this is probably the closest, most ambitious idea to get it um, into someone's you know into someone's body mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that exists out there today. Um, although there are also a lot of thoughts that will maybe instead of trying to negotiate that, maybe we should just create artificial organs. But then the problem is artificial organs would be fiendishly difficult to create. It has taken decades to even come close. To an artificial liver that, well, sorry, artificial kidney that we think will work, and that's a, not a very complicated machine right now. And, and this is after many decades of doing dialysis uh, and, and understanding how the how the kidney works. And mm-hmm. at the same time, we've also had artificial hearts, but those artificial hearts give out after a few years. They can only they they there's supposed to be a bridge. They buy time between transplants. So there's that mm-hmm. idea that. Yes, we can buy some time with potentially artificial organs and interventions, but ultimately we're organic beings for now uh, and, and, we, <laughs> and we need organics Oof. to actually work.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you, you, but there's a text that comes in how the, they're laughing um, from Edmonton about your statement where you just said stem cells know what they're doing and we don't. Um, Am I the only one that finds this a very wild and risky guess and test scenario? Like that's weird, right?
2: No, absolutely not. There's there's no? a there's a very large community of scientists that say this is the only reason why we're okay with this is because we don't have something else that will work better right now. Like mm-hmm. we don't we don't really have other things that are as promising. So we're willing to see how far this goes. There's a lot of things that Can potentially go wrong here and there's there have been a lot of wild claims about what you can and cannot do with stem cells and uh, how they can be manipulated into 3d organs um, that we can actually not just tissues but full-blown replacement organs and Mm -hmm. they haven't really shake it out over the years. There's a lot of um, unlicensed stem cell therapies around the world. And I would caution anyone who would try them because they have wildly different results. There's some people who get a stem cell injection somewhere in the Caribbean in, in an unlicensed lab and they feel great. And then there's people who get that stem cell injection and they start developing early stage cancers. So you, we are still trying to get a handle on this. So yeah, you're right, this is, this is quite risky. But again, the alternative is that people are dying and we have to try as many things as we possibly can if, uh, to find that, that, that correct answer to actually save lives.
1: Boy, and I thought it was wild to see a dentist out of the trunk of a car in a mall parking lot. This one is next level wild. Okay, so what what kinds of organs is this working on? Because you said there's a large community here um, that is um, working on this, and they think it's way less strange than I do. I guess that's because it's their job. Uh, I noticed that in your article, there's this little uh, piece that says, reanimate dead brains. So... How about we take it to that level of weird? So that
2: is, well, the technology, my reference to technology that can allow to reanimate dead brains. uh, It's something that we talked about a long time ago, a machine called uh, BrainX, where uh, scientists put in brains from deceased pigs and Mm -hmm. managed to basically bring them back to life. While suppressing electroactivity and going, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap! Uh, how is this even working? So mm. it's more like there's this technology. It's it's really the, the the reason why I put in that reference is because there's a lot of other implications with this technology because we are creating what can be called artificial life. Even though it's not really viable now, who knows what what might happen to it later? What who knows if we decide? Okay, well these you know, 40 to 50 day old embryos have reached the end of the road. In this, in this bioreactor. But if we move into another bioreactor that buys us another 50 days or another 100 days, and then you start getting all sorts of ethical questions. Are we creating life out of nowhere? Is this actually going to work? Like, at what point do we say, well, maybe we can't use this for 3D organ harvesting because there's a lot of ethical and moral implications that we need to play into account. So it's one of those things where I, I can see how if this technology is a little too successful, it's going to raise all sorts of legal and ethical questions that I honestly don't think that we're equipped to answer yet. Like we don't have mm-hmm. the frameworks for this kind of technology. Um, and, and right now, the only thing that kind of is keeping this as more of an educational academic discussion is the fact that it hasn't really worked with humans yet, like no one has actually put in human cells into these bioreactors and and let it and let it rip and see what happens. Um, so that's the, so that's the other thing I need to. I, I think we need to we need to really consider uh, going further.
1: I hope that's not a button on the machine. Let her rip. Um, okay, so like it, but this is the question. I, I I feel I can feel as I ask this the the quandary that is this ethical part fish. Is that is it artificial life if it's living and created from existing cells and stuff, right? That isn't that the crossroads? Because if it's alive, like it's an organ, it's it's a living biological thing, and it's for all intents and purposes, it's there, it's living, it's pumping, it's doing its thing. Doesn't that mean that it's not artificial? Even though it was manufactured at least starting, you know, in with the letter rip button.
2: Uh, I, I don't I don't know. This is one of those things that, that you can look at it from a standpoint of just like you said, yes, it was it it came from another living thing, so we're just hijacked an existing process. Yeah. Right. But if we modify it in any way, if we modified the genetics in any way, if we yeah. um, there has been artificial life that has been created. There is bacteria that had its DNA pieced together by a computer, so and it, it and that I would say yeah, that's definitely artificial life. I mean, yes, we're recreating something that exists in nature, but we're doing it from scratch with just chemicals. Uh, yeah, manipulated is, life, if nothing else. Yeah, this is this is a little bit less so. But then, where do you draw that line of artificial? Because we are creating something that shouldn't naturally exist we've we yes we've we've taken it from a living thing but we're making it do things that it technically isn't really shouldn't really be doing Mm -hmm. without our what does your gut say
1: what does your gut say without your science head because you're a computer programmer you're a science nerd what does your gut say is it uneasy about this because my mind's really uneasy about this
2: see this is the thing this is how this is how the, the the weird mind works you you learn to kick your gut Constantly and not listen to it. You you tend to you tend to go with your brain ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it generally, I, I personally am very cautious about this for the simple reason that I'm not sure that this will work. And if it does work, it raises a lot of questions that for which we don't have good answers from from ethical and legal standpoints. Uh, but at the same time. It also is, we can't deny the fact that there are people who, who need something like this to survive and Mm -hmm. who are we to deny them that? So that's the big question. Is this, how, how far are we willing to go to save people's lives and how, and how far are the people whose lives we're trying to save, willing for us to go to save them?
1: When we put a, a disc in a computer or maybe that's too old school, but you get my point. Um, Sometimes it changes the computer, and I, what I get really curious about this is if you take a manipulated DNA stem cell thing, you put it into a body, does it change the rest of the body? We don't really know that part, and then when you think about it, if it's somebody who is young enough to reproduce still, if you, this is where I get, now this, this is pretty fantastic thinking, but just work with me. If you put a liver into somebody at a young age that was manipulated, like you said, engineered, biological, but engineered, and you put it into a young person who is still yet to have a baby, if it manipulated their DNA in any way, somehow, some strange, weird thing, and then they had a baby, would that possibly manipulate the DNA of the baby? And then that creates a whole new chain that can cascade through humanity and probably worth considering. It is
2: theoretically possible. However, it would be very, very unlikely because our DNA has a lot of mechanisms to correct itself. And in fact, a lot of genetic engineering attempts have been stymied by the fact that all of those defense systems are in place and very, very active. Um, So if those changes did propagate, they, they could be very, very small and probably would not have any real effect for... Potentially thousands, if not millions, of generations. Because if they did, then the embryo would simply not be viable.
1: Right. But is that really the G fifty six on your bingo card that you want to roll the dice on?
2: That's the that's the thing. How uh, do do you actually want to give this? Do you want to give this a try? I would pros- I would probably be hesitant. This is not the like the 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 ramifications are pretty significant. Uh so again this is kind of like yeah this is this is exciting and this is really interesting we can uh potentially save lives but at the same time are we biting off more than we can chew do are we really do we really understand what it is that we're trying to do in the grand scheme of things um even yeah. though those even though those errors would be rare those mutations would be uh very very unlikely uh, you still have to think the whole thing through
1: yeah, absolutely, and let's at least take the moment and acknowledge that we are not sitting waiting for an organ transplant, and I uh, want to acknowledge what that we don't understand what it's like to need an organ transplant in our conversation about it. I'm very certain that somebody who needs an organ transplant um, might have something to contribute to the conversation. That's very important as well. Greg Fish, com. The article is posted, shiftheads.ca. Uh, it's interesting, causes you to think.